And, uh, I'm so happy to be here. I think uh, OA started real close to here. Uh, and uh, it's a real honor for me to be here. A little disclaimer here. Whatever I say tonight is stri strictly my opinion, you know what I mean? I've been in program uh, since I was 37, and I'm 60 now, so that makes it 23 years I've been coming to this program. I've never left, and that's probably the reason I'm not in a sane asylum or something like that, you know, because it's more than physical recovery here, you know. I, I know I came into this program with a lot of anger and resentments that I really didn't even realize I had because my motto before program was don't get mad, just get even, you know. Somebody pulls something on you, you know. I've learned a better way here, and I'll talk about that. <clears throat> Anyhow, uh, whatever I say, my opinion, I know that uh, everybody works the program just a little bit different, and it's, you know, because... I know I'm real good at taking inventories as long as it's not my own, you know, and, uh, and I have to watch out for that because whenever I point my finger at somebody else, there's three pointing back at me, you know, and, uh, and it's usually I'm picking something out in somebody that I don't like about myself, you see. That's why the three fingers, you know, I better look at myself because there's something there. Anyway, uh, uh, I... Uh, come from the typical dysfunctional family. Uh, I had eight brothers and four sisters. Mother didn't have much time to spend with any child, you know what I mean? I was more or less got my love and care from an older sister, you know, and uh, which I didn't realize at the time, but she was going through sexual abuse from my father, you know what I mean? And uh, I don't know. What, what can you say, you know? I don't, I don't recall having any but he abused me except uh, maybe the boy down the street, you know, when I was uh, a little and I, there wasn't, you know. But I think uh, when you see how, when you raised in all this stuff, you know, uh, you don't have many escapes except that food can be an escape because they, they never stopped me from eating whenever I wanted to eat, you know, as long as the food was there. But with eight brothers and four sisters, it was a free-for-all, you know what I mean? And they say I, I was... I was born with a boarding house reach, you know what I mean? I could reach clear across the table even when I was a kid, you know, I could make, make sure I got my share. And, uh, that's, you know, it's just, but I can remember times when with eight brothers and four sisters, there was times when there wasn't any food in the house, and that was kind of scary too. So maybe there's a little real fear in my life about not having enough, you know what I mean? And that's, that's you see, fear is the thread that runs through the program, they say, you know. And I've dealt with a lot of that in program because I have, you know, it's an abundant country, you know, and I've been to some other countries. I went to Guatemala and seen the poor, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, so uh, i just pretty thankful, compulsive overeater who uh, was kind of steered into this program via Al-Anon, you know what I mean? Because... There was a lot of drugs and dysfunction going on in my family, but the, the whole thing in the family was, was when I was ra raised, was let's not discuss family business with outsiders. Well, everybody on the block knew there was trouble going on in the house, you know. It wasn't really a secret, but let's just not talk about the elephant in the living room, you know what I mean? And the big trade-off was uh, we, uh, uh, if I don't talk about your drugs or your alcohol, then we won't talk about you being fat, you see. That was the, the kind of the trade-off that went on, you know. Was, 
kind of a dysfunctional thing, but and I never really heard the truth until I got into a 12-step program, and I was just blown away by the, the honesty that everybody had here, you know. I'm trying to be honest tonight, but, you know, I, I kind of I tend to rationalize things myself, you know. Uh, it's kind of like a, a watermelon is only one fruit, right? You know, and carrot cake is really a vegetable, you know. Let's, you know, I can go down that path if I want to. That's, that's the beauty of sponsors, though, because when they say something like bullshit, you know, uh, you know that you, know, you have to look at it a little more honest, I think, you know what I mean? And, uh, and I believe this program is uh, it's a mental, physical, spiritual disease, but the cure is spiritual. You know, and I used to come in the program, I told somebody when I was about a year in program, I said, I don't know how this uh, program works, and they said, well... There's a chapter in the big book, how it works, why don't you read it, you know what I mean? So so I did, you know, and and I made my acquaintance, you know, I say, I hear all these people getting up and doing all these wonderful pitches and everything, and I say, God, what's their secret? What's their secret? And every meeting I ever went to, they read the 12 steps, you see. It wasn't a secret. They were trying to tell me something, but, you know, I'm pretty defiant, you know, and it takes a while for it to register, you know. But I'm still here after 23 years in program, so, and, and I thank God I never left because I'd be 500 pounds, you know, I'm, I am way over 100 pounder. <clears throat> but the, 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 the thing is, this program is not even, I, I think, this is my opinion, you know, I know there's a lot of controversy, but I think this program is not about weight. I think it's about becoming a better person. That's the whole idea behind the steps, you see. Because it's not even about the food. The food is what we do to cover up our feelings try to escape, you know what I mean? And there, well, there's other things you can escape with, drugs and sex and a whole list of other things, you know. And I've, <clears throat> I've had my problems with that working the steps because, you know, I, I was pretty able, well, you know, able to admit that I'm powerless over food when I came in, you know. And I mean, right away I said I was a compulsive overeater and, you know, and I can kind of believe in God, but that third step gave me a little trouble because I said, well, okay, I'm here. I'll just turn my food over. But that's not what the step says. It says, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God, you see. Now, I just said, okay, God, you can have the food. I'll give it away. But as far as sex goes, let me handle that, you know what I mean? As far as money goes, you know, just just give me the money because the... In the because uh, the bottom line is more. That's what I want, more. I'm a compulsive person. I want more. You know, just I want to be able to eat anything I want to eat and wake up in the morning at go weight, whatever that is, birth weight maybe. I don't know. But, uh, you know. but uh, the thing is, the most reassuring thing to me in the, is, is when she was reading the, the how it works, is that we are not saints. And I don't even think I want to be a saint because, uh, you know, you have to be dead to be a saint. And I, and I still have a little more living to do, you know. I don't, <laughs> and I don't canonize you until long after you're dead usually. So let me, let me live a few more years before you... <laughs> Not that I'll ever be canonized. The point is that that I'm, I can grow spiritually, you know what I mean? And that's what the steps are. You know, the steps are... You know, the whole point is to get to that 12th step. I almost said 13th, but... You know. Don't, let's not talk about that. 
having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these other steps, we carry this message, you know what I mean? And it's based on Alcoholics Anonymous. One person getting sober, helping another person getting sober, and so on and so forth. That's the, the basis as a result of working this program, you see. And that, that's the miracle here, you see. The miracle is, you know, it says in the big book, you know, maybe I, I should just read this to you. Because it, the 10th step promises, I'm sure everybody, all the old timers know that anyhow. But the whole idea is that when you work this program, you're relieved of the obsession. You know what I mean? And it says here, and we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even food. For by this time, sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in food. If tempted, we recoil from it as, with a, as from a hot flame. We will react sanely and normally. And we will find this has happened automatically. Well, it doesn't happen automatically, you know. I'll say that here. We see that our new attitude toward food has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We are not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we have been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not even sworn it off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is our experience. That is how we react so long as we keep in a fit spiritual condition, you see. And that's what the steps are for, you know. You go through the steps and, uh, the, you know, 10, and 11, 10, 11, and 12 are the maintenance steps, you know. And that's, you know, you're supposed to go through those steps once. And I, you know, but you're going to be continuing taking inventory you know you should do it daily I, you know I'm not perfect I don't do it daily either but, uh, because I want you to know that sometimes I have a resentment and I don't even know it you know what I mean I mean it's like I had an operation a few years back on my ankle you know I had my ankle fused because of arthritis you know so I'm getting old I'm, I'm a senior citizen now and uh, there's only two good things about being a senior citizen. One is you get a lot of discounts, and the other is I can't remember what happened to the movie, so I get to watch it again, you know. And I'm watching it. I, I know I've seen the movie, but I can't remember what happened, so it's like a brand new <laughs> At any rate, uh, the whole idea is that I think I lost my train of thought now. Uh, what was that done? Oh, no, before that, you know. Uh -huh. Oh, yeah, that resentment. I was getting on the resentments, yeah. It says in the big book that resentments are the number one offender, you know. They cause more people to go out and eat. And that's because usually if you have a resentment, you're in bondage to somebody. But, see, I had this resentment against the doctor because I did everything I was supposed to, to do for this operation. I followed it perfectly, did everything, and then the operation didn't work, you know. So it's like instant depression. But I, you know, and the VA did the operation, you know. And I was in the casting room, and they put the x-rays up, and the doctor says, oh, no, this didn't take. 
we're going to have to do it again. And I, like, I was instant, and I was going like, oh my God, the pain. And I was complaining to this guy who was on a gurney, you know, right next to me. And saying, oh, the pain in my leg. And he said something kind of funny to me. He said, wish I could feel pain in my legs. You know, it was kind of a God shot, you know. Because <laughs> he, he, if anybody knows World War II, the last, one of the last islands they conquered was Okinawa. And he got a bullet in his spine in Okinawa. And he'd been paralyzed for the last 50 years. And here I am complaining to him about a little pain in my leg. <laughs> he'd been paralyzed for you know, uh, I felt ridiculous when I thought about it, but I think it was kind of like God telling me, hey, you know. <laughs> but, see, I didn't realize I had this resentment. So finally I had to start praying for the doctor. And he did the operation again, and the second time it was a success. You know, I haven't had any trouble with the leg, you know. But, and I don't know why those things happen, but I know I didn't have to compulsively overeat about it. But I was, you know, I was really about to because of the but because all my see, my resentments they're justifiable the trouble with justifiable resentments are they cause you to eat just as much as the unjustifiable ones <laughs> so there's a solution in the big book you know and it it's in the story uh, freedom bondage and I just love that story because this woman had gone through all the steps and she got to a point where she had one resentment left that she tried everything and it wouldn't work, you know. So she was praying to God and saying, God, I set this resentment against my mother, you know, it would be mother or father. Or some is mother, some is father, I don't know. Anyhow, my kids is my father. And, uh, and she said, I don't know what to do. And then about that point, she, you know, after her prayer, she's seen this article in the newspaper and it was about how to get rid of a resentment. It was written by a clergyman, and it went something like, if you have a resentment and you want to be free of it, what you have to do is you have to pray for that person every day for two weeks. You have to pray for them to have everything you would like to have for yourself. And then it said something like, even if it's only words, and sometimes it is for me, even if it's only words and you don't mean it, do it anyhow and do it every day for two weeks. And you'll, you know, you'll be free is what it says. You'll be free because if you have a resentment against somebody, you're in bondage to that person, you know. And that's what this whole program is about. It says in the big book, we are sure that God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free, you know. So we want to be free of the resentments because in it, you know, and if you have a good abstinence, it's pretty easy to stay out of resentments too because I, no, I just notice how much nicer people are when I have a good abstinence, you know what I mean? Because people are really nice. And when my abstinence is kind of shitty, I just kind of like, oh, you know, they start running me off the freeway and you know, because that's, that's where my real test is and I get in the car. You know. But I stayed pretty calm all the way down. I, I, I live in Alpadina, so was you know, and I <clears throat> hit a little traffic, but not as much as a, you know. I'm just glad I made it in time. I thought I'd left in plenty of time, but here I am. Anyhow, uh, <clears throat> the whole the whole point about the, the program is we want to get past you know uh, 
I don't know if any of you know about the 132 Club. I think, Ms. Betsy, do you know about the 132 Club? Anybody know about the 132 Club? What's well, page 132 in the big book, you know what I mean? Does anybody know that one? Maybe I should read that, too. The 132 Club is really great, you know, because... Well, I can kind of paraphrase it, but I think it's better if I maybe just read it. The 132 Club is... You know, because this is a serious disease and everything, sister. We have been speaking to you of serious, sometimes tragic things, you know. and But we have been dealing with food in its worst aspect, you know. That's the compulsion. But it says, but we are not a glum lot, you know. If newcomers could see no joy or fun in our existence, they wouldn't want it. You know, which, by the way, reminds me that... Overeaters Anonymous is not for people who need it, but for people who want it. You see, you really have to want this to, to get the benefit, you know. Because there's a lot of people out there that could benefit from it, they don't want it, you know. <clears throat> we absolutely insist on joining life. We try not to indulge in the cynicism over the state of the nations, nor do we carry the world's troubles on our shoulder. When we see a man shrinking into the mire that is out our food, we give him first aid. See, and this is the reason for telling your story, you know. Just, we do recount, recount and almost relieve the horrors of our past, but those of us who have tried to shoulder the entire burden and trouble of others find that we are soon overcome by it. So the whole idea is you relate the story not to, not to get pitied, you know you know, it's like, just to tell you that I'm a garden variety compulsive overeater, and I'm here for recovery, and I just happen to have the honor of, and it's good for me to get up and speak. My, in fact, my sponsor won't let me do otherwise. And since if you're asked, you've got to do it. So we think cheerfulness and laughter make for usefulness. Outsiders are sometimes shocked when we burst into merriment over seemingly tragic experiences of our past. And I've heard a lot of laughter in, in OA. And if you go to a meeting where there's a lot of laughter, there's a lot of recovery. Because that's one of the, the, the clues for recovery for me is when I hear people laughing, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm always, you know, like when I... See, I, I can even laugh at myself, which I couldn't do before, but that I figure that's recovery. You know, when I can laugh at myself, you know, it's not as serious, you know what I mean? I said, well, okay, God, you know, it's a big deal, you know. Because, you see, the mistakes are not sins. We all make mistakes, but that doesn't mean you're a bad person, you see. And I hear these voices from my childhood. Everybody knows that those in bad health and those who seldom play do not laugh much. So let each family play together or separately, you see. And that's the mistake I used to make well, let's go to the movies. I don't know if he wants to go to the movies with me, so I won't go. You know. Well, what is it that is causing me not to go? Fear of being alone, fear, you know, there's some kind of fear that stopped me so many times in my life from doing something I wanted to do. You know, it's, you know, so. So, uh, it says play together or separately as much as your circumstances want. That means you should be playing half the time anyhow. The other half is work. I'm sure you can't play all the time. 
but we are sure that God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. We cannot subscribe to the belief that this life is a veil of tears, though it was just that for many of us. But it is clear that we made our own misery. Oh, God. That kind of hits me right between the eyes. Huh? If I'm miserable, who did it? Who did it? It says here. It says, God didn't do it. Who made me miserable? You know? It's kind of like Abraham Lincoln says, you know, most folks are as happy as they make up their minds to be. <laughs> Who's making me miserable? Is it something I'm doing? Avoid then the deliberate manufacture of misery. But if, it, if trouble comes, cheerfully capitalize it, capitalize it as an opportunity to demonstrate his omnipotence. In other words, let, let little God power show in, you see. And that's the 132 club, you know. We don't have to be a glum lot. We can be happy, joyous, and free. Okay. Uh, there's a, a few things that I wish I'd done a little better when I was uh, taking my steps. You know, one is uh, I uh, I had a resentment, you know, against this guy at work. You know what I mean? And I was doing my inventory, and it came time to uh, make amends. He had popped up on his on my amends list, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, I lost contact with this guy. I don't know where he's at. There's no way I'm going to make any amends to him. I wish I would have done it. You know, it says do it promptly. And I suggest you do that promptly because here's what happened to me, you know. Every time I still think of that guy, I go, ooh, you know. I would have cleared up, you know, if I would have gone and made amends when I was supposed to, I wouldn't have that little ooh anymore I don't think you know I would have cleaned up the wreckage of my past you see because it's like like it says in the big books if we come out of the storm cellar and everything's a mess you know what I mean and we got clarity and the storm has passed but isn't it isn't it great that the wind stopped blowing you know and there's a big wreckage in our life you know what I mean and everything's kind of destroyed you know but and the storm has stopped but there's, you know, we got cleanup to do, you know, cleanup to do. The other thing I like to do is I bite, you know, I've learned in program to maybe bite my tongue a little more. Because sometimes I want to say something and I have, mm, mm, you know, because I don't like to make amends, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I try to stay out of the wreckage in my future is what I call it, you know. <laughs> the wreckage. And, uh, and how do you do that? simply doing it by taking it one day at a time, you know, and uh, not getting into the future so much. I'm not saying you can't plan for the future. Every, every, I think it's necessary to plan, you know. If I hadn't planned for being here, I wouldn't be here probably. But it doesn't always go the way you plan it, you know what I mean? And for some of us, that's very hard, you know, especially if you're like me and Alamon too, you know, because... Uh, I have to work this program for myself. I can't work it for anybody else. So, um, uh, I think sponsorship is very necessary, you know, to keep that clarity. You know, what I mean? now, I'm not saying that you have to share every deep, dark secret you have with everybody in program. That's not the whole idea of it. But you should have at least one person that you can that knows you, and you, can, you know, to keep you out of that what I call rational lies, you know. They sound rational, but they're lies, you see. <laughs> rational lies, you get it? 
<laughs> they, you know, they sound real rational to me anyhow. And, uh, but I have to, I have to, because that's what I do if I isolate and try to figure out the problem myself, you know, is that it's like, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> okay. I didn't know they were going to have music. Ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can. Uh, it wasn't the ice cream man for me. It was the Helms Bakery with the big long drawers and the cream puffs. The cream puffs. And now I used to sneak that little H in the window when Mom wasn't looking. You know what I mean? Make sure it stopped. You know? I don't know. This is probably predating some people in here. You know, they don't know about the Helm truck. The bakery truck that used to make. Yeah, yeah. The Helm truck, yeah. Cream puffs. I was like Rags the Tiger. Cream puffs. But anyway, uh, I haven't. I guess my abstinence is, you know, I've, I've, had, I've been in the sugar and out of the sugar, and. Uh, Currently, I got about five years from the sugar, and this time I kind of gave up white flour too. You know what I mean? And they, when I first came into program, they told me, you know, uh, just because I was still working and I was a truck driver, you know, and I was driving all over the country, so I worked out. I just had to eat the best I could wherever I was at because there was no way I could cook or, you know, because I was on the road half the time, and so I, I'd eat somewhat absently in restaurants and greasy truck shops and stuff like that but I was working hard and I could eat a lot back then you know what I mean I could actually eat with reckless abandon you know because because what I was I was a mover you know what I mean when I came in the program and I was always the guy that packed the kitchen you know what I mean because uh, you know and I, I mean I, I needed to make amends for that but I don't know where the customers are anymore you know what I mean because I find all their stash in the kitchen you know what I mean and then have you know so the whole time I was cooking and I'd be eating the cookies and the chocolate and all that and then they say well time to go to lunch so I'd go eat lunch and then come back and pack some more you know what I mean and that's a perfect job for a compulsive overeater, but it was also that I was getting lots of exercise so I could burn all that the calories off and I see. Now I still have somewhat that same appetite, but I'm not doing it anymore. And it shows, you know what I mean? So I've had to and now I'm getting up to where I really have to watch what I eat, you know what I mean? It's like the the, the it's not working, you know, so uh, but although I've been on I've been losing the last few months, I kind of hit a plateau, you know, I lost about 15 pounds, but, I, you know, and it was just from not, from being careless, you know what I mean, more than anything, but I, I, I think it's more of just not being in that fit spiritual condition, you know, because the food doesn't get me unless, so I need, to, you know, I need to, I need to pray more, you know what I mean, not that I'm going to be on my knees all the time, but I do, I think. To see, uh, when I came into program, I was I was doing contract trucking back in 1984, you know, and I was making like 60,000 a year then. And then my back went out on me, you know, and I, and I was making zero for I don't I don't know how I did it except that I did it one day at a time, you know, because you know uh, in the promises it says 
it doesn't say economic insecurity is going to leave you. It just says the fear of economic insecurity is going to leave you. I was always, you know, I wasn't afraid of it, but I was economically insecure. But what I realized is that I, when I'd been doing all that trucking, I'd bought some real estate, you know what I mean? And it was kind of like wasn't paying for itself, but about the same time my back went out on me, you know, uh, and I was making nothing, interest rates dropped, and I refinanced everything. I was able to refinance everything and save myself about $500 a month, you know, on the refinancing. And then I upped the rents a little in, in back then, and, you know, uh, I, it's hard to believe that, and I don't feel like it, but that I'm a millionaire today because of those properties I bought way back then. I just held on to them, you know, and they were my income, you know. But I would have, you know, I wouldn't have that if I wasn't in program. You know, I would have sold out a long time ago. And, but you know, it's just it's somewhat, somewhat like being uh, satisfied with what you got. You know what I mean? Because I went out uh, a couple of years ago and I put some money in the stock market and I lost like ninety percent of it. You know what I mean? And I go, oh, oh, oh. But then that what real estate has done in the last couple of years. I didn't, you know, I more than made up for my losses and stuff, you know. And I, the only reason I bring this up is, is that it wasn't me that did it, you know. It was just, I just feel really blessed. I feel blessed that I don't have to panic about things in my life, you know, because of the program, see. program is much more than just not eating, you know what I mean. It's like living life on life's terms, you know what I mean. Whatever comes, because... The thing was, I didn't have a job, but I was reading in the big book, he says, we have a new employer, you know, and that employer is God, you know what I mean? That's the whole idea behind the 12 steps. It's not about, because see, job is kind of like identity. If somebody asks you, what are you, who are you? You say, well, I'm a secretary, or I'm a mover, or, you know, that's not really who I am, you know, but I, and I can say it here. What I really am is a compulsive overeater. <laughs> and the, the cure is here, you know. They have a cure. You work these steps to the best of your ability, and I guarantee you, you'll have recovery. You know what I mean? And it may not seem like it all the time, but you'll have it. You know. You know? We're absolutely sure that that you know it's, it's worked for so many people. They, they keep saying it works if you work it, you see. But my trouble is I'm so intelligent, you know. I know about compulsive overeating, you see. But it says, it says self-knowledge avails nothing. We turn it, we stood at the turning point, and we asked his care and protection with complete abandon, you know. Because, see, I can know all about compulsive overeating. That doesn't mean that I'm going to recover it takes action, and action is the steps. If you don't do the steps, there's no, you know. And I think uh, the whole the whole point is that when they wrote this big book, there was like a hundred recovered alcoholics that donated to this book, and you know, and you know, it's very young when they first wrote it, you know. But this is the way they did it, you know. And back then, they had a recovery rate much greater than recovery rate today, you know, they had about a 50% recovery rate. If we had that here in OA, there wouldn't be room in here 
for all of us, you know what I mean? There wouldn't be room. So, my idea of working the program, if I really want to work a good program, you will have, says in the big book, you know, and that's the way it started. If we had a 50% recovery rate, you know what I mean? And then, well, uh, my time is just about up, so I'm going to, I don't know. I guess what I, I just want to, you know, I'm, I'm really, truly gave, grateful. I'm, I'm so grateful I found the program because uh, I'd probably be dead because this is a serious disease, you know. I know I probably would have been, well, I probably would have gotten a fight and killed that way or I've been 500 pounds and died of a heart attack or who knows, you know, because it's not just, it's just not about the physical part, it's about the mental part too because I guess I'll tell you this little story about how dangerous resentments are because I had a brother who was a heroin addict, you know, and he found recovery. And he's the first one that, this is before I got the program, he showed me the story of Dr. Alcoholic Addict in here, which I, is one of my favorite stories. And, uh, they changed the name in the other, the new 12, and, uh, the new big, big book that they came out with, you know. But I like Dr. Alcoholic Addict. I read it, gave me a little chill, but he was making like amends to me and working a good program. And he was in an impact house and he went and got a job and cleaned up and and uh, then he got a little angry at his his uh, sponsor you know, and, uh, and they say that drugs is what killed him but I think what it was was that anger that started him on the path that's what killed you you know what I mean you can't afford to hold on to anger because you have a resentment against somebody else it's like drinking poison yourself and expecting the other person to die it just doesn't work that anger affects you more than it does the other person and that's it seems unfair but that's the way it is I've been there but so uh, you know it, it, it gets us all now I don't think anybody can not help but get angry you know what I mean I'm not saying I'm not talking about anger a resentment is when you keep visiting that anger you know what I mean because every anger is an emotion you know it just comes out sometimes you know I mean it's like even Jesus chased the money changers out of the temple you know it's what they call justifiable anger or whatever it is but it's when you keep keep it going keep it going year after year you know you if you want to be free you have to get rid of that you know I gave you the prescription it works for me I think it'll work for anybody that does it Anyhow, I'm really happy that you let me be here. My time is up. Uh, probably go on all night, but you probably don't want to hear this. <laughs> oh, I do. Oh, I was going. Oh, yeah. If you want questions, anybody want questions? And if you get a question, please repeat it. Okay. I'm curious about what got you to your first meeting. The question was, uh, what got me to my first meeting? Well. It was an Eskimo. <laughs> you know what? You know what an Eskimo is. In the big, big book, they talk about that. That you're trying to stay sober, and you go up to the North Pole to stay sober, and even then, somebody will show up. An Eskimo will show up with a bottle and get you drunk. If, that's, if, if you're just trying to avoid it, you know, you can't really avoid food. 
you know what I mean? But uh, uh, I was, uh, I'd gone to Al-Anon a year before and I didn't even know about OA. And uh, I used to go eat breakfast at this little diner every morning and this, this girl, Aggie, I don't know, she, I don't know if she's still in program, but I know she goes to AA. I shouldn't, I think some people know Aggie here. I maybe shouldn't mention her name, but she asked us, you want to come to this meeting, you know? Because, see, I was talking Al-Anon. I was talking to 12 Steps. She just figured I was in program. So I went to this meeting, and it was about OA, and I didn't even know OA existed. And right away I heard what I needed to hear. And that's how I got to my first meeting, you know. It's like, they didn't tell me what the meeting was about, just come to this meeting, and I trusted her and came, you know. Then they couldn't get rid of me, because you know? <laughs> I was on my honeymoon then. You know? How do you, I found my book over here, thank you. How do you, uh, how do you avoid the situation where you surrounded by a lot of sugar, and how do you send that off? Well, I, I mean, I've, sugar is a, a funny thing, you know what I mean? Uh, I think uh, what Bill W. said about alcohol, you can't avoid it, you know, but you just have to ask yourself a question, you know, is, is uh, you know, he's talking about going to bars and parties and stuff like that if you're an alcoholic. He says, well, what's your, what's your reason for being there, you know? If it's like a wedding or something like that, then it's okay for you to be there, you know what I mean? Because you're not going to avoid sugar, you know. But the point is that if you're working a spiritual program, it's not going to get you. But I did have trouble with sugar. And one of the old-timers, Alpha, Alpha she, her story used to be in the old chocolate book, you know what I mean? I called her up one time and I said, I'm having trouble with sugar. What do I do? So she told me to get the book out. I says, read the doctor's opinion. And every place it says alcohol, put sugar, you know what I mean? Go through and mark it out, put sugar, and then read it again. And amazingly, I stopped eating sugar after I read that. It just put a little, little chill down my back to do that, you know what I mean? Just cross it out, and I just felt like it hard, you know? And sugar seemed to, like, just evaporate, you know, go away, you know? And that's, that's from one of the real old-timers. I don't even know if she's still alive anymore. I know she got Alzheimer's, and I haven't seen her for a number of years. And, you know, she's one of the first members of OIT. Well, I, I, I really can't put exact date on when I was using humor. I used to use humor even when I was dysfunctional, I guess, you know, but it was kind of a rotten humor. And it's not like you hear the laughter in OA, you know what I mean? Uh, my fruit plan is is varied, you know what I mean? Because over the years in OA, because my first sponsor, he says, uh, okay, we did that food plan, now I'm not driving truck anymore, so I now I have to tighten up on this. And, then he said, uh, you're going to have to give up bread. And I said, well, what about potato? Can I have a potato? No, you don't get a potato. Well, can I have oatmeal? 
It says, no, you can't have oatmeal. It says, if you want to do, if you want what I have, you have to do what I did to get it. You know what I mean? So you know what I did? I went and got myself a new sponsor. <laughs> it's just, that's how defiant I am, you know. See, I, and I can remember that uh, I had this, this relationship that I had to give up one time. And boy, it just hurt. It was, oh man, it was a killer. You know, I had to give up this relationship and, and it just hurt me so much. And I was so sad. And I went to the meeting and pitched about it, you know. And I went on and on about it. And then I told them the relationship was with cheese. Because somebody told me that you may be allergic to uh, to dairy products, so you have to give up dairy products for a while to see if there's you know any difference. So, I mean, I swear that that hurt me more than any relationship with any woman I ever gave up, you know. And then I know I'm a compulsive overeater when that happens, because cheese was my lover, you know what I mean. He never talked back to me, and it always was there, and was so easy, and. It, you know, I mean, that that's how sick I am, you know what I mean? So I see, because food can be a, a good replacement for sex, you know what I mean? So, and uh, we all have problems. That's another thing I like about the big book is to do a sexual inventory, but it doesn't get into the sexual inventory. It says you have to do an inventory and find out what's right for you, you know, because there's so, you know, such a wide thing in the sexual you know, you have to find out what's right for you, and then you should do that. You know what I mean? They like to stay out of that controversy because. But I think that the words that assure me most in there is this: we all have problems with sex. We'd hardly be human if we didn't. You know what I mean? Because it's a basic instinct. You know, and if God didn't give us that instinct, we probably wouldn't be here today. You know, because procreation and everything. You know, we wouldn't be here without. So it's it's not a it's not a dirty thing. It's you know it's necessary for procreation, but you have to find out what is right for you. You see, that's, that's all I'm gonna say about that. Okay. Anyway.